As I mentioned to the children, we continue today with a sermon series titled God's Vocabulary. We began last week with the word that some might say all the other words in God's vocabulary sprout from, the word faith. And this week, we visit the first sprig of that sprout, peace. Let us listen once more to God's word, hearing this verse from Matthew's gospel, from Jesus' sermon on the mount, the part typically referred to as the Beatitudes. Jesus speaks to the crowd gathered there, and he says to them, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, whatever violent storms rage within us this day, whatever storms rage within our lives or within the world around us, we pray for your peace to draw near, for your calm to settle in, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts this day might indeed be pleasing. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I want you to imagine for a moment that you have a piece of land, a pretty good sized piece of land, say 100 acres. Some of you may actually have 100 acres, so you don't have to imagine this, just call to mind your hundred acres. Now, if you can see that land, I want you to imagine that it is a beautiful piece of land. Now, beauty, of course, is in the eye of the beholder, so it can be beautiful for whatever reason you want it to be beautiful. Maybe it's high on a hillside or a mountain and has an incredible view that spreads out in front of it. Or maybe it's flat and it has a stream or a creek or a river that, that runs through it, that brings deep joy. It's a beautiful piece of land. It also happens to be a productive piece of land. Imagine that your land it, it is perhaps even your livelihood. You grow things on it, maybe citrus or fruit, maybe lumber, maybe wheat. Whatever it is, this land, it, it brings forth and it provides a bounty. Can you see that land? It's beautiful. It's productive. Now I want you to imagine that your piece of land, it has been passed down to you through generations before you. This land, it doesn't just have your blood, sweat, and tears in it. It has the blood, sweat, and tears of your ancestors. I mean, this land is part of your story. It's part of your identity about who you are. is all tied up in this land. Can you see your land? You got it? I want you to imagine one day you go down into town to run some errands. And while you're in town, your neighbor, the person who lives on the land next to yours, happens to be passing through and sees you and comes up and taps on your shoulder and says, I don't know if you've been down on that one piece of land. You know which one I'm talking about, that corner of your property. I just drove past there, though, and I thought you'd want to know that There are lots of people 
down there right now. Equipment. People even that look like soldiers on your land. Now this piques your curiosity. And so you begin to inquire. You check with the authorities and they pass you from one person to the next to the next until you finally land in front of someone's desk who checks the register and says, Oh yeah, your land, it's not yours anymore. Your land now belongs to the state. Well, that doesn't sit too well, does it? Remember, this is beautiful land, productive land. This is land that is part of your story. So you go to that person's boss and then to that person's boss. And at each turn, they tell you, sorry, the papers don't matter. It's not your land anymore. You do what we do in modern democracies, of course. You hire an attorney, you show them your papers, and they go to the courts. Now, I want you to imagine that that encounter with your neighbor had happened 30 years ago. It's been 30 years since they tapped you on the shoulder. You've been in the courts for all that time. 30 years. You've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars just trying to get some surety That your land today will still be your land tomorrow. And all that while, it's not like nothing's been happening. Those authorities, they've been pressuring you in other ways while you work through the courts. They've cut off the road to your property. Now you have to walk. They've cut off the power, the water. Not only that, but they've shown up in the middle of the night more than once over those three decades with a bulldozer, and they've bulldozed your crop. They've taken away your livelihood. What do you do if you're the landowner in that scenario? What do you all think you would do in that situation? It seems to me that there are three options of what you could do. You could simply resign yourself to what's going to happen is going to happen. Sit down, cry, wait for perhaps a hero to swoop in and, and change everything miraculously. That's one option. The other option is that you could just leave. I mean, what's the point in fighting it? It's going to happen. Might as well go now. The third option is, of course, what... Humans, people like us, have been good at since the very beginning. You can strike back. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You can return their violence done unto you with violence done unto them. But what if I told you there's a fourth option? What if I told you there's a fourth way that you could respond? If we weren't in this series where we're just picking one word for each week, I think I would have titled this sermon, The Fourth Way. The Fourth Option. Now, some of y'all have been telling me this morning that you read an excellent piece in the newspaper just yesterday by our very own Bethany Leggett, sitting about halfway back in the sanctuary. Bethany was one of the travelers on an interfaith trip that our congregation, the synagogue in Brunswick, and our brothers and sisters at Christ Church here on the island took to the Middle East, returning just about two weeks ago now. If you read Bethany's article, you got an introduction already to a family we met, a family named the Nasser family. 
The Nasser family live on a piece of land, about 100 acres, just outside Bethlehem, the modern-day West Bank. They're Palestinian, the Nasser family. They're also Christian. Don't forget that Palestinian doesn't necessarily mean you are Muslim. Palestinian is a culture. It's, it's a grouping of people. These are Palestinian Christians. I love the point that was made to us on this trip. Some of us were tempted to ask people like the Nasser family, well, when did you convert to Christianity? And they look at us like we're crazy. And they say, you do realize Christianity was born here. We've been Christian for 2,000 years. How about you? (laughs) This family has lived on this beautiful piece of land, high up on a hillside, an incredible vista. You feel as if on a clear day you could see clear to the Mediterranean. This family purchased this land in 1916, and they have grown crops on it ever since, almonds and olives and wheat and grapes. Generations of this family have lived and worked on their land, work by day and sleep in the caves by night. They've poured their blood, sweat, and tears into this land. In 1991, one of the members of the Nasser family went to run some errands in their village. And their neighbor tapped them on the shoulder and said, I don't know if you know, but there are a lot of people on your land. They presented all of the documentation, all the papers, but the Israeli military declared their land state land. This was at a time when settlements were beginning to grow into that part of the West Bank, and and their land was now going to be used for a settlement. It was your land yesterday, not your land today. The Nasser family is one of the only Palestinian cases that have successfully defended their right to stay on their land in the Israeli courts for 30 years now. 30 years in the courts. And during that time, they have continued to have pressure put on them by outside actors. We had to walk to their farm because the road had been cut off long ago. We had to meet with them in a cave because that's the coolest place to meet at 12 o'clock in the Middle East in a place with no electricity. They have this amazing system now to collect water. That's how you survive in any place, but particularly in the desert of the Middle East. Several times in the middle of the night, this family has been woken to the sound of bulldozers bulldozing their crops on their land. When we visited them, we met with the current day leader of the family, a man named Daoud Nasser, an incredible person. And he told us as we sat there, he explained the history of their land, and he said, we have been presented with three options ever since this began in 1991. We could resign ourselves to our fate, adopt a victimhood mentality, woe is me, The problem with that, of course, is that it stunts any progress. You're stalled in your own shoes if you just sit around and wait for a hero. The second option is we could just leave. It's not easy living here. It'd be a whole lot easier to go to Bethlehem or to another community nearby and restart our lives there. Or, he said, we could resort to violence, to doing violence in the same way that has been done 
to us. He explained to us, though, our family, we never have liked any of those options. And so we created a fourth one, a fourth way. What was amazing was this fourth way, it is rooted in acting differently for one reason, because they are Christian. Because they are followers of Jesus Christ, they have committed themselves to responding to injustice done to them in a completely different way than the world typically would respond. He said the fourth way consists of the following principles. One is that we refuse to be a victim for the reasons already cited. The second is that we refuse to hate. He said, you know, it's really easy to hate It'd be a lot easier for us to hate the other because you can get swept up in hate. That's easy, but we refuse to hate. And the reason we refuse to hate is because our belief in Jesus Christ leads us to believe and understand that all people are created in God's image. And if all people are created in God's image, then we cannot hate anyone else. We refuse to be the victim. We refuse to hate. What we believe instead is injustice. The fourth way, he said, the fourth way of responding is to respond from this deep-seated belief that God's will, God's justice will be done. Someday, somehow. The fourth way, you see, is the way of peacemaking. It is the way of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus says. You know, peace, it might be the hardest word in God's vocabulary. It might be the hardest word because when we, you and me, when we are faced with that kind of injustice and hatred, that kind of isolation that that family high on a hillside outside Bethlehem have for 30 years now, when we are faced with that, it's a lot easier to go to our fight or flight instinct. It's a lot easier to respond from that reptilian place in our brain to flee or lash out or strike back. It's easy to live from that place where those three options feel like the only three options. But to follow Jesus Christ is to realize that there is a fourth way. I love Eugene Peterson, that pastor and linguist who passed away last year. In his message, Paraphrase of the Bible, he takes this verse from Matthew 5 and he translates it this way. Rather than saying, blessed are the peacemakers for for they are the children of God, he translates it this way. He says, you are blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. You are blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. He says that's when you discover who you really are. That's when you discover your place in God's family. It's incredible to sit in a cave with this man, Dau Nasser. To sit in this man's presence is to sit in the presence of someone who is blessed. I mean, this man, he doesn't carry enmity or hatred And he has every reason to. 
Instead, it feels as if you are sitting in the presence of someone who knows who he is. He is a child of God. And who, because of that knowledge, knows his place in God's family. There's not a shred of enmity or hatred. But neither is there resignation. This is a man who is clearly committed to standing up for what is right. A man who is committed to standing for justice and peace by nonviolent means. I love the slogan he told us. The slogan of this, this whole farm is this. We refuse to be enemies. Everything they do every single day on this farm is rooted in that mantra, we refuse to be enemies. Can you all imagine a world full of people who refuse to be enemies? That doesn't mean that you don't get angry. Righteous anger is a good thing. It doesn't mean we don't get angry. It doesn't mean that we don't stand up and act when our faith calls for it. But it does mean that we refuse to live by that other mantra, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It does mean that we live by that fourth way for the very same reason that Dau Nasser lives by that fourth way. He lives that way and we live that way because Jesus lived the fourth way. Our four-year-old, he loves to read the children's Bible sometimes right before bedtime. For whatever reason, don't ask me why, he loves the Good Friday story. We're in Good Friday an awful lot in our house. It worries me sometimes, but it occurred to me last night as we read the Good Friday story that maybe he sees something in it that we need to see more often ourselves. He sees in that story a Jesus who refuses to be an enemy to anyone. A God who refuses to make an enemy of anyone. From the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Our God refuses to be an enemy. When you travel with 44 people in the Middle East, you spend a lot of time on a bus driving from this place to that place to that place. There was this moment a few days after we visited that farm when we were driving down near the Dead Sea. And Rachel Bregman, who some of you know, the rabbi at the temple in Brunswick, one of the co-leaders of this group, she made her way down the center aisle of the bus and she got the microphone. And as soon as she started speaking, you could hear weight and sadness in her voice. She was taking the microphone to share with our group, an interfaith group, a group seeking to learn about peace and peacemaking and hope in the midst of conflict. She shared with us news that had just come through her phone from a friend in Waycross. You all know when you travel abroad nowadays, you don't get to disconnect anymore. You're always linked in. She got on the microphone and she said, I just got a message from a friend telling me that last night, the synagogue in Waycross was vandalized. Have you all heard this story? I've been surprised how many people haven't heard this story. While we were gone at the end of May, 
someone or someones broke into the synagogue in Waycross and they wrote graffiti and brought an animal in and they lit off the fire extinguishers. It was this moment when I was reminded, at least, when I was reminded that this peace stuff, peacemaking, it's not just some theoretical thing, right? This isn't Alan's pie-in-the-sky world peace sermon. I mean, there is real injustice and real hatred and real exclusion right here in our own community. There's anti-Semitism and there's racism all around us. And whether we are the targets of it or not, the question is still the same for us as followers of Jesus Christ. How will we respond? Will we choose to respond with one of those first three options? Or will we respond in the fourth way? Will we name injustice and exclusion and oppression and hatred when we see it? But at the same time, will we commit ourselves to be nonviolent agents of change? Will we be the people who finally break the cycle by refusing to be someone else's enemy? I don't know what's growing on your hundred acres of land. On the Nasser family farm these days, they're growing olive trees. They grow olive trees not just for that image of an olive branch and what it represents for peace. They grow it for another reason, Dau Nasser explained to us. He said, we grow olive trees, even though some of you may know, olive trees that are newly planted, it may take a whole decade for them to bear fruit. Ten years on land that these folks are still unsure will be theirs tomorrow. He said, we plant olive trees on our farm these days as a sign that we still have hope. But we also plant olive trees on our farm these days to remind ourselves and others that peace always grows from the ground up. Peace always grows from the ground up. Peace. Friends, may it be with you, and may it be in you, and may it be yours to share. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.